Brilliant Misfits, Episode 40. It made me feel happy and it switched my mind off. That was the most important thing. I have such an active mind and sometimes I struggle with insomnia and I didn't know how to switch my mind off, but art did that for me. Hello and welcome to Brilliant Misfits, talks with women who are the renegades, the creatives, the entrepreneurs, the artists who didn't fit in and how they've turned it around by courageously following the beat of their own heart. We'll be discussing all things creative, mindful, and artful to inspire you to do it your way and be brilliant with your host, Asia Kennedy. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Brilliant Misfits. Today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about intuition and creativity. I'm very excited about this subject, but before I introduce today's guest, I just want to quickly mention two things. One is that you can join my private Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits, where we continue the energy, the conversation, the support, the creative leaps um, in a private circle, sacred circle of women, and it's a great place if you want to share things or try new things out and we're very supportive and loving in that group and the second thing I want to mention is that if you love the podcast even if you like the podcast please subscribe and give it a rate and review so without further ado I'm going to introduce someone who I have had on the show before and I'm so delighted that she's back again because we talked after the last show about doing something around intuition. And so she's agreed to come back and talk to me a little bit about her experience with intuition and creativity. So welcome, Ange Delamere. Oh, thank you so much, Aisha. I'm so happy to be back. It's, it's a delight to be on your show and a privilege. Oh, wonderful. Now, the last time we talked a lot about your journey as a corporate lawyer, so I just want to mention that so that, you know, we have a context to that. You've gone, like a lot of us misfits, we've gone from, you know, being in jobs or careers that, I don't know, we just kind of felt like that was the right thing to do, but then on some other level it didn't really suit. And I know that that was the case for you as well, being a corporate lawyer, and now you call yourself a spiritual lawyer. So let's just look at that a tiny bit and just to share that with the audience, a little bit about that journey. Yeah, it's. Um, I love calling myself a spiritual lawyer, um, and it now fits better and better every time I say it, which is good because, um, because I branched out of law in um, 2005, um, to train uh, in Reiki, I did. Um, I started doing um, exhibitions, art exhibitions, which is something I never thought I would do. Um, I, I sort of, how can I say that? I sort of denied or, or um, ignored 15 years of my life, which were being a very successful lawyer, and somehow I felt fragmented. I felt. Um, I didn't feel whole anymore because it was, I was this person, I, lo I lost my identity when I lost my job. And I, I was like in this limbo. And it was actually fascinating because I realized we put so much into what we do, our jobs, it becomes our identity. And even though it was extremely uncomfortable at the same time, it was very good because I realized, no, I am not what I do. I am who I am. 
And this is the unfolding that started to happen as I was I was actually pregnant when I lost my job. It was not a very easy period, but I started to pick out all the things that I did to please others and to fit in. And I realized I'd completely lost myself because when I was a child, I wanted to be um, actually a primary school teacher and I wanted to be an artist. I also wanted to be um, <laughs> um, a child psychologist. So all these things together, I wanted to work with children. In the end, what I'm doing today is I have four children of my own and I home educate them. So maybe I've managed to to blend, blend it all in <laughs> in the end. So um, so I found myself in this limbo and I reinvented myself. So I explored lots of different things. Um, I had discovered mosaics. Um, I mentioned that last time in our interview, thanks to my sister, because she knew I loved mosaics so much. When I look at them, it just puts me in this great place of bliss. And so I um, I'd started doing mosaics without any sort of training. And um, every time I just went into doing my mosaics, um, it's like I went into this zone. Um, my hands started to create something. There was no planning. And what came out of it just blew my mind. I have to be honest. The, one of the very first ones I made, which was inspired by Klimt, it was this um, this naked woman who was lying on a bed with her baby um, placed on her tummy, which I, I did right after the birth of my, my daughter, my first daughter. Um, I looked at it and I said, this is not me. I cannot do this. Um, I just looked at it as almost as if it wasn't my creation. I know this is, sound, this is going to sound a little bit weird. Mm, no, and, it sounds uh, absolutely clear and on topic for what we're talking about because um, – isn't intuition something that bypasses the the conscious rational mind? It comes from somewhere that we don't even know how to describe, but it does come from somewhere else and come through. So in this case, what I hear you saying is that you intuitively made this piece of art, and when it was fi finished, it was a surprise to you. What was a surprise as well, it was the, and, and I don't mean to sound vain at all, but it was the beauty of it. Mm. I was just, I just couldn't take my eyes off it. I just couldn't take my eyes off it. So anyway, fast forward uh, probably eight or nine years after I explored all sorts of things, the tarot, healing, Reiki, crystals, <laughs> you name it. I went like, woo, my poor partner. It's like he, he didn't even know who I was anymore. And um, <laughs> so I did this mediumship training because I was always fascinated by mediumship. And there was one that was held by a lady I knew um, around the corner. So uh, it was a one-week intensive, and we went through all sorts of things like um, automatic writing and then automatic speaking, which is when you, you know, start stand up in front of some um, an audience and start talking about a topic. And she did it before and after a certain meditation. And the difference in how people spoke was just amazing. It was surreal. And when it was my turn, I didn't even hear the words that were coming out of my mouth. It was just like it was pouring out. And at the by the end of the week, I did another. The last one was the probably the scariest one. It wasn't really scary, but I, for me it was because, you know, think about it. I came from a family of muggles. So to be put in the hot seat to do a chanting session or whatever it was, I, I was convinced I would make a complete 
um, full of myself because there were some actually pretty experienced mediums in in the in the workshop in in the training. You know, some had been actually on platforms and everything, and here I was, a little me, <laughs> I had no clue what was going on. So I'm going to t- still talk about this experience because it was mind blowing. So I sat in the seat and I could actually, it was a plastic seat. I could actually feel myself sweating it. It was so awful. <laughs> you know, when you say you're in the hot seat <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I had this lineup of 10 people that I, 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 luckily I had learned to know them over the week. So I wasn't having a panic attack, but I was that close. And so the, the teachers started to put us in the meditation and suddenly um, I felt like a sun just above my head inside. It was like a sun dawned on me. And then this, this golden light poured into me and completely filled my body. And I felt so peaceful. And I felt like in heaven. It was just incredible. And I started to speak at the same time. And I have no, again, I can't remember what I said. Um, and when I was finished, one of the mediums said, um, she said it was amazing, and I'm like, okay, hang on a minute. I don't even know what this what happened. I didn't, I didn't feel any fear. Okay, so that's very important because some people might think that there's a fear attached. It's impossible to feel fear because that that sun, that energy was so loving and so incredible that I felt nothing but love. Mm. And one of the one of the ladies said that she actually could see the face of a biblical figure. Um, come in front of mine if you know what I mean like overshadow me I don't know if this right word and then it was gone and then it was gone and to be honest I wish I'd stayed there forever because it was like being back in heaven if any any of us could remember that so anyway looking back I've finished this 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 was pretty shocking experience in the sense of um it it kind of shook me out of my everything I knew does that make sense absolutely yeah yeah and so everything I thought I was, <laughs> again, who do we think we are? <laughs> well, that's true. It's like you said before, you know, there's so much attachment or identification, I would call it identification with who we are is what we do. Um, and to have that just sort of stripped away and you, you're left with, well, who am I or what am I even? Yeah, yeah. So that's where I was. But to tie back into what we were discussing about the mosaics, after this, this week of training, it made me realize that I had been chanting all my life. I just didn't know. As, as a child, um, when I was, you know, for, I, the first time I remember it happening, I was eight years old, um, and someone came to me and was really distressed, and, and so I sat them down, and we had a little chat, and suddenly words started to come out of my mouth, and I, I remember thinking at eight years old, I'm not wise enough to say this. This is beyond my 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 maturity, beyond my wisdom. Mm. And and invariably, people would start to feel better when they came to talk to me because I just say these things. And the thing is, before I say it, I had no idea I'm going to say it, and it's still the same today. Mm. And this is when I know. This is when I know for sure that something bigger than me is speaking through me. And to be honest, it's a wonderful feeling. I, I, would, I want to just live with it and, and never, you know, um, continue. To, because also the, what you see, how it touches other people is so wonderful. So, but I also realized with this training that all my art had been done the same way. I never planned anything in advance. I, before I did my first mosaics, I didn't even know I could do mosaics. 
And then it just started to unfold because I managed somehow, and I would say it ties it with meditation. I would really encourage people when they do art, when they even when they write. Is I do the same with writing now. I can write a blog post in ten minutes because what happens is I switch my mind off when I write. And you were saying you don't know. Just before we had this little conversation, we said we don't really know where it comes from. Intuition. I know it comes from the heart. Mm. So when you want to create or when you want to be intuitive, it's in the same place. It's in the heart energy. Mm. And they've come, they've actually done some scientific research re- recently to show that actually intuition. You know, they they put all those monitors on your body and whatever, but it doesn't come from the brain. They're actually now saying it's coming from the heart. The activity of the heart is ah, where our intuition that- comes from. Oh, well, I didn't know that, but Mm. it makes perfect sense because for me, it's always been that. So if you can imagine whenever you, I mean, I'm sure you do that already, Aisha, but um, when we do the creative thing to switch our mind off, because our mind is really more of a monkey than anything else, and then drop down our energy into our hearts, open our hearts, and then connect our hands to our hearts. And this is what actually, when I trained in Reiki, that's what the Reiki attunement does. It's wonderful, and I love attuning people because I'm a Reiki master now myself. There's a series of symbols that you draw on the person. Nobody have ever explained that to me, but this training showed it to me, is that you do um, attunements on the crown chakra, on the third eye, on the throat, on the heart, and on the hands. And can you see how that's actually a very convenient channel that flows from the divine into your crown chakra it illuminates your third eye, illuminates your vocal cords so that you can speak from heaven. Then it goes into your heart and your hands are connected to your heart and it flows and it's so beautiful. Mm, I, love I mean, that. I, that's, that's what Reiki is for me. I mean, there's other methods, but it's that energy of linking. So everything's linked to your heart and your hands do the same. So as you can do healing with your hands, you can do heart, um, art with your hands as well and art and color is healing as well. You know, there's people who specialize in healing with color healing. Mm, that's true. Mm. So it's all linked, you know, and that's why I, I personally, um, my art, I want it to be vibrational. And I think that people have said that a lot. When they look at my mosaics, it's more than just looking at a picture. They, they have a download. They have something that happens on an energetic level that changes them. And it's not me saying that. I have actually a very, very good friend who's who was my Reiki master, but she's more of a friend now, who said, your, your, she said to me, and I didn't even know by then, um, your art is actually a healing piece. It vibrates. And most recently, not that I do mosaics anymore. I think I explained that to you. I can't because of time constraints and in homeschooling. I, I just don't have the time to have a couple of hours ahead of me to do, you know, to have the time to just open up to this this energy but the most recent ones I've actually mixed crystals with tiles mm. and so the energy literally beams from the crystals as well that are charged with that energy so at one point my dream was to make these for you know healing centers and stuff like that but I've just had to move on and maybe it will come back when my, my kids are bigger I don't know I have to you know let let the universe do its magic at some point and see what will come out of it <laughs> 
But I've I've channeled this now into my dolls, as you know. Um, so I, I because I can do that whilst I homeschool. I do these little rag dolls that have a crystal in them that's charged with energy. And again, I stitch every little stitch I do with, because I stitch them by hand. It's stitched with love. And I sent one to um, a friend in Australia a couple of weeks ago, and. When she received it, she sent me this really, really message that touched my heart. And she said, because she's quite energy sensitive and I didn't know to what extent. But she sent me this little message and said, whenever I walk into the room, I can feel the energy of your doll. Mm. Which ties in with another friend of mine who I, I made a, a doll for. And she said she thinks they're like little angels that, you know, little beaming things of energy. And this was the intent originally. These are healing dolls. Mm. It's the idea that when the person, first, because we all have an inner child that could do with some, you know, with some cuddles and, and some help. Um, but also because, um, yeah, we do, all of us need some uh, some healing at some point. And to just have that gentle, gentle presence, that crystal that's, because you can, um, I don't know if you know that, but you can program crystals and charge them with energy. So that's what I do in the process of making the doll. I hold the crystal, I hold an intent, I set an intent for that person. And I actually sent the healing energy to the person for the whole time that I do the doll, which is about probably six, seven hours. I hold them in my intent. Mm. And um, that's something that maybe might sound a little bit surreal for people who don't understand energy, but energy doesn't um, belong to time and space which means it goes across time and space. You can send healing into the past, into the future. You can send healing uh, to the other side of the world and to the other side of the universe and back. <clears throat> Sorry. So when, when you do that, when you set that intent and when you send that love, because healing is just pure love, you know, unconditional love with no strings attached, you do it for the pure joy of sending that, that energy. Um, That's such a it, nice it, description, Ange, what you just said. I love that description that you just said. You're just sending it from your heart. Um, you, your mind is out of the way. you like a channel of, of energy for, you know, yeah. universal energy and that it, there's nothing that can get in the way. Energy just moves through everything. Yeah, and then it's just down to the person who has been sent the energy, whether they want to receive it or not, mm. <clears throat> because there's no attachment. And that's very, very important. So would you describe intuition as a channeling process? Well, it's, it's interesting, your question. Um, sometimes I think channeling is slightly different than um psychic abilities but they can all tie together mm. so some it will depend um what the person's forte is because there's like five or six different psychic senses and i might miss some some of them but basically there's clairvoyance which is with the eyes uh clairsentience with the feelings clair what did i say a uh, clairaudience which is auditory so the ears yeah then there's also uh, claircognizance, which is what I do, which is when you just know. Mm. You don't have necessarily any of those other, you know, like images coming up or thoughts or whatever. You just know and then you say. Um, so it's like a direct process almost. 
uh, which is why it's more confusing than the others, because if you see something, it can be a lot clearer than if you just know. And then you think, why do I know? The, the doubt starts to creep in. Mm, so I think that's the, the difficulty, isn't it? I mean, I think we are born with this facility, but then, you know, the doubts or maybe something's happened to us when we have spoken our truth and then we sort of shut down. So seems to be a little bit of a reawakening of this um, sacred gift of intuition or channeling it seems to be something that is just coming through now especially I don't know it seems to me because I work with women maybe that's why and I'm around women a lot but it just seems like something that's coming through the feminine much more much more prominently or it would be that you know the feminine in a man <laughs> exactly yes because yeah. we have feminine and masculine both so yeah. i'm not yeah, talking feminine, male female but just the feminine energy is coming through so it doesn't matter if you're male or female that's right yeah and that there's a reason because traditionally in our um bipolar world i don't mean in in, in a bad sense but it's like yin and yang mm -hmm. the woman receives and the man sends so intuition is about receiving. <laughs> you have to be in receptive mode. You have to be open. And what's fascinating for me when I receive my intuition, when I channel for people, is that I have no idea what I'm going to say before I say it. Whereas when you think, you're very proactive, you're masculine in, in your energy. And the other thing that really surprises me is that what I say usually doesn't even fit with what the human me might think. Mm. It's always a surprise. I, it's so much more loving, so much more inspiring, uplifting. You know, it's like I, I could be talking about something, you know, fairly depressing. And suddenly there's this bigger picture that makes it all all right, that shows you that the universe has your back, that what might appear as something bad or a crisis or something on the human level actually is a beautiful unfolding of something bigger that will lead us to something, you know, where we're supposed to go. Mm. Nice description. <clears throat> and I like how you've tied in also the element of trust and receptivity, you know, because we can receive information or hear things or however, you know, it comes to you. But then that trusting to just, yeah, just speak what comes out. And for you, what I hear you saying is that there's this feeling of absolute love and warmth that allows you to trust what you're hearing and being able to express that. I find it for myself easier to write. When I write, I can just start writing anything. It can be crap. But then at some point, something seems to take over. And even if I ask now, which I've started to do, is just ask for, is there anything I need to know? And a whole different type of writing comes through. And it's like this writing is speaking to me. So I'll write as fast as I can with my hand cramping because I tend to, to write longhand when I'm receiving. And that's a beautiful process too. And I know that you also write. So can you talk a little bit about that, about the writing and the channeling and writing and opening your intuition yeah. in, the, in the writing process? Yeah, and, and that's also um, quite fascinating, the change. You know, as I said in that training that I did in 2008, mm. um, we would be given a topic and we would first write about it with our conscious mind or our normal, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, intellect. And then she'd take us through a little meditation. Then we'd write about the same subject 
whilst in trance. This is the idea. You're in the zone. And as a clinical hypnotherapist, I understand that so clearly now. I think training in both hypnotherapy and mediumship has enabled me to understand the channeling process, um, you know, like the back of my hand. Now I really know exactly what's going on. It's actually unblocked me as a writer as well, because what happened is I started writing in 1996 when I still lived in France and I wrote in French and I wrote this novel that I tried to have published. I sent it out and I got like 20 letters of rejection when they even bothered to answer me. And that completely traumatized me. And so I had writer's block for 10 years. This is actually when I started doing mosaics because I had to do something else creative to feed my soul. You know, I was a corporate lawyer. I dealt with contracts every day. I dealt with difficult people. I was working with like CEOs, CFOs, negotiating deals because that was my speciality, was negotiating joint ventures, going out all over the world, meeting people, trying to get those big egos to talk to each other and get to a contract. You know, that and that was very good for my mind, but not good for my heart. So I had to find something for my heart outside of my job. Mm. And of course, being a mum gave me some of it, but I also needed to be creative. So anyway... I was blocked in my writing, so I did mosaics, as I, I mentioned several times. I'm sorry about that, but and to the point with that. <laughs> but that, that with what no, I, I forgot to mention something. This is why this is coming up: is that before I did mosaics, all I could do was black and white drawings with ink. I was unable to use um, to use color at all. If I you had given me a box of colors um, and tried to paint, I would paint. You know, I thought what was there was absolute rubbish. I just couldn't do it. I was blocked. But with mosaics, it was like making a puzzle. So it kind of freed my creativity and it obliged me to be simple and to get out of my mind. That's exactly what it is. Mm, simple and get out it, of your mind, yeah. Exactly. I had such a strong mind. As, you know, you can imagine as a lawyer, I was like super control freak. <laughs> well, I wasn't, you know, that bad as a lawyer. I had a heart, but it, it, it drew me completely into my intellect, which was far away from my heart, I have to say. And from all the intellectuals that I've met, some of them are disconnected. And that's that's the trend. Mm. Anyway, I, like, I like what you said. Um, just Sorry, I just want to interrupt briefly, just because you, you made a point that I, I just want to highlight for the listeners, because I know that, you know, we all get sort of blocks in different areas, whatever our creating process is, whatever we're creating, sometimes we feel blocked. In your case, you, you got traumatized and then you had this writer's block. And what you did is you, you found another channel for your um, creative energy to flow in. And I like to call that a creative pivot. So whenever we're blocked, it's sort of like a, you can take a pivot and just do something completely different like what you did with mosaics. And yeah. did you find that that sort of un, unblocked other areas, just being able to have your creativity open up in, in the area of mosaic making? I think what it, it certainly nourished my soul. Mm. And that was, that was really important. Yeah. Um, because um, I felt, you know, I felt like someone who had been walking in the desert with no drink, no water to drink for so many years that 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 breath of fresh air that that color those even though i cut my hands so many times on the mosaics i didn't really care on the tiles uh, because um it made me feel happy and it switched my mind off that was the most important thing i have such an active mind and sometimes i struggle with insomnia and i didn't know how to switch my mind off but art did that for me 
Mm, that's a really great tip. So for all of, all of those insomniacs out there, yeah. active and minds, really, it's, it's true. Creativity actually stops your mind. You, um, I know a woman who just started doing mandalas, you know, drawing them, and she says the same thing. It just calms her mind. Her mind is not even there. It's just she's just in exactly. this process of creating. It takes you out of your mind. That's absolutely what happens. Mm. And so to be able to write again, what helped me was actually this combination of um, the clinical hypnotherapy and the mediumship. And so a couple of months after I did that training, I, I started to write a book um, about spirituality. It was quite interesting. I'm not finished. it. It's parked but or shelved. Um, and I will pick it up one day. And it just flew out of me. I had never done that that channeling in writing before and I type super fast so I just got on my computer and it just almost written um is that written itself I'm yeah. sorry I'm French so I and I wrote like 300 pages in a couple of months it just poured out of me after this 10 years where I couldn't even hold a pen without feeling traumatized so it was wonderful yeah. uh, but this is the funniest thing. Uh, I need to share this anecdote because it still makes me laugh to this day. So I, I had this manuscript and I wanted to send it out, but I was so scared to send it out because I, I'd been traumatized 10 years before. So I went to a friend of mine who does wonderful readings to ask her, is this the right time? Should I send it out? You know, what, what am I supposed to do with this writing now that it's coming out? And I was in England by then and I was writing in English and also so lots of things had changed. So I sit in front of her and she gets her cards out and she says, this is not the right book. But did she mean there was another book, but this one wasn't the right yeah. one? Is that what she meant? That there was another book that was to be created? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, this is the story because it's so funny. You know, I, I, oh gosh, my life is so funny. So I wrote this book and she says, this is not the right one. So I looked at her like a rabbit in the headlights. You know, I look at her and I says, what? <laughs> it's not the right book. Like she probably, you know, like my world was crumbling. Well, not really because I had other things to do. But so anyway, she says, no, no, no. You, the book you're supposed to write now is about slimming. And I looked at her almost even more confused because I wanted to write a spiritual book. And she was asking me to write a book about slimming, which for me was the furthest removed subject from spirituality you could ever imagine. <laughs> and it's a good thing she was my best friend because I looked at her and I was like, <laughs> if it had been a reader, I'd just walked out and say, she's completely rubbish. But I trusted her. Mm. And she said, you know, whilst writing this book, you are going to learn so much. And I thought, okay, okay. So <clears throat> drove back home. You know, we were having a girl night out. And what we do, we have a cup of tea and we do readings. That's how we have <laughs> our girl nights out. And I just pondered on it whilst I was driving. And I said, well, if she says it, I have to give it a try because this is what I'm supposed to do. And, and this is what I've accepted, Aisha. I think that's what the biggest um, difference from when I was a lawyer is when I had a I was a lawyer, I had a career, I had a plan, I knew, and I, and I, I was in control, complete control of everything. Oh, well, of course, you can always be fired, which is what happened to me. But on the whole, things are much more predictable. Um, whereas since I've become a spiritual lawyer, I just do what spirit wants me to do, and very often has nothing to do with what 
I want to do. Mm. Or it takes me by surprise. So in the end, I wrote this book in six weeks. And I realized that actually, yes, I, I understood where I was supposed to write this book because I had huge issues around my weight and my body and my appearances. And I actually had a lot of clients as a hypnotherapist that came to me for, for slimming at that point. And it often happens for therapists that you get clients that in waves on a topic that also is supposed to help yourself. So I went deep into it and I self-published it and I did all that in six weeks, which was the amazing thing because I could see then how it was meant to be because it was like people were literally coming out of the woodworks to come and help me. You know, I, I had never self-published a book. Well, someone turned up to do the editing. Someone turned up to help me with them. I didn't even have to look. I didn't have to Google anyone. They just came up to me. The universe sent me people so that this book could be born. And that was the amazing thing of it. And, and so um, this is how I unblocked my writing. So that, that's the first book that I self-published. But And then I, I wrote a lot of things and then I decided not to publish them and da-da-da-da. <laughs> Fast forward, um, the same thing happened actually in June. I hope I don't waffle too much. But in June, I was writing a novel, okay? I was really set on writing that novel and I wanted to get it published and I had worked on it for a good year. And I joined this, this writing um, course and she asked us to, to decide which book we wanted to, to work on. And when I tuned in, you know, when I switched off my mind and got into my heart, mm. the novel wasn't there at all. It was gone. Instead, there was this new book that I was supposed to write. And I was like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> <laughs> this is what spirit does to me. I think they, may, they might think I'm too strong-minded. I just need these little shocks from here to, you know, here and there. But anyway, the book was about my father. I am, um, and it was my memoirs. It was the first book that I wrote. Um, I had been working on it before my novel, but I just decided to go on to the novel because that's what my mind wanted, you know? Yeah, yeah. So back to the heart. So in June, out of the blue, um, I was asked, <laughs> and I can't say who exactly, probably my dad because he's in heaven, uh, for the listeners who don't know that he died. He died in March 2013. And so it looks like my dad asked me to write this book. So I went on, and for the all the last summer – I just focused on that. I picked up my first draft, which was really, really bad. And for all the writers out there, your first draft is always going to be really bad. So please don't. This is the process of writing. And this is also something I want to help people with. So I'm happy to have a little chat just about that. With writing, and I think it's the same with art, Aisha. Just tell me what you think. You have to give yourself permission to write really bad um uh, I was going to say, well, I don't want to say rude words on, on, the, on your show, but to be really, really bad, you know, to repeat yourself and to say things clumsily because you need just to put it on paper, the very first thing. Mm. And then you need to sit for a while. And sometimes it can be a couple of months because you need a fresh pair of eyes to go back on it. And it's not the same eyes that are going to look at it than the ones that created it in the first place. The first draft needs to be channeled. It needs to be from your heart. 
Um, I think it just needs that energy. And I spoke to um, a painter who was on the podcast a few weeks ago. And she said, I asked her, how do you start? And, you know, it was very similar. She said, I just get everything down on canvas. It's just a mess. You know, she's not trying to get it all right and put it in the right place, this color here and there. She just gets it all down. And then she steps back, and then it becomes a little bit of a refining process of takeaway, adding, and all of that. So in, in when you ask me, you know, maybe is it the same as art? And it is. And it's the same for any kind of art. I mean, I think everything is art. So if someone's creating a, an online program, it's the same thing. You know, you just write out this sort of outline template of what you want to include and you know it's it's not going to be perfect the first time it never is like you say and and that's probably why perfectionists have such hard times actually producing anything Mm. you know all my friends who want to write books who are perfectionists never put a word on paper (laughs) because I'm now in the space where I don't care I just get started and I write and I write and I write and I write and I know when it's finished, I'll revise it and I'll think, oh, my God, how could I write something so bad? Which is exactly how I felt after I looked at the first draft of my father, because the book's called My Father Who Art in Heaven. And um, so when I looked at that first draft, I thought, oh, my goodness, how could I write this? But the material was there, you know, like the clay was there. Mm. And then all I needed to do was just to shape it and say it in a different way and move things around. And that's what I did. And and um, and I'm, I'm so happy I have. And to tie back on to the mediumship and channeling, I actually did all the revisions with a fountain pen with purple ink. And I I didn't understand why I was doing that at that point. I just was compelled to to buy this fountain pen because I didn't have um I didn't have one at that point that worked. And it had to be purple ink. But then when I was completely finished and then when I went through the process of editing and puff, you know um doing the details, I was actually shown that my dad had never used a computer. And he refused to use one. And so could it have been him asking me to use this pen so he could actually write the book with me? And, and now I'm almost convinced that it is. I know that my, my father was holding my hand, although I wasn't aware of it. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's a beautiful story, Ange. Really very touching. And, um, you know, we're in our physical body, but we're spirits. And so someone who passes over to the other side or you know however you want to describe it they just don't have their physical form but I'm sure there's connection and there's communication and um, you know we just need to be open to it if we're so inclined if we want to be I would probably take this further as well because this book has taught me so much because the the whole book is about my journey Um, first as my my dad was dying the last few weeks of his life but beyond when I was trying to communicate with him. And so I'm just on this quest to try and get hold of him. And some of it was painful and some of it was wonderful um, because, of course, there's all the mix, the grief mixed into it. But what I was shown ultimately is that our loved ones in heaven are always with us, 
all the time, no matter what anyone else tells us. They love us. They want to see how we're, we're, we're doing. They want If we do something that they love, for example, I started um, doing something my father used to do a couple of months after he died. And I did that spontaneously without really thinking actively about it. But I, he had, I had, my mum had given me one of his um, knives that he used to peel his grapefruit every morning with. And so I started doing that. Every morning, I would peel myself a grapefruit with my father's knife. And I hadn't realized it, but he was there with me when I'm doing it because it's something he used to love to do. Mm. And our loved ones in heavens do that. If we do something that they love or if we think about them, they will be with us in an instant. We might not feel them, but we, they are there. And that's probably what's underlying most of my book is that that pain that I couldn't feel him, but I didn't need to feel that pain because he was there. And it's my mind who stopped me from feeling him, if that, if that makes any sense. It's my pain that created this wall between me and my dad. It wasn't, yeah. he was there all along. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've read other books too where... Um you know, it describes that the people that do pass over, they do try to communicate. And the biggest thing that they say gets in the way is grief. And of course, we have to go through a grieving process, but it, it, for the, it makes it harder when you feel that you've lost that person rather than knowing that they're still there, that their spirit yeah. is still there. Yeah. And so I, wa I wanted to write this book. Well, I didn't choose to write this book, as you can see. It kind of landed on me. But at the same time, I'm really, really happy I have because I want people to understand we all have that gift. It's not just that, you know, those, those TV mediums that claim that they've always been mediums and that they could see spirit walk into their bedrooms when they were kids and all sorts of things. That Every single one of us, and I think the energies of the planet are now supporting that as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that to spook people out because, you know, the spirit world is a loving world. And of course, maybe some people who would be listening to this show might have a parent that they had really, really hard, um, difficult relationship with and that parent died. That person is going to be different in heaven. They're not going to have all that baggage that they had. It doesn't mean that there'll be suddenly those, you know, beautiful spiritual beings and evolved and everything. A lot of mediums will tell you that they still have their personality and their quirks and everything. But... <clears throat> They're not as damaged. I'm sorry to call about damage, but that's how I see people who hurt other people. I always see them as wounded. Mm. But when you move on to the spirit world, your wounds disappear and you're able to see things a lot differently. And, you know, it's good to make peace if we can. Mm. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful sharing of that. Now, I just want to wrap up a little bit as we've just been having this incredible conversation that I'm enjoying immensely because I really love uh, your take on, you know, you really moving it from intuition, saying that we all have this ability, this channeling process that requires that we become receptive. Um, yes, I was mentioning um, the idea to make amends. Um, maybe with the people who are in heaven that we're very cross with. <laughs> and it's important uh, not just for them. I think it's important for us as well because when we have unresolved issues um, with our ancestors, it affects our children and our offsprings if we have any. 
Mm, so it just keeps going through the line and it keeps continuing. Exactly. Yeah. It repeats the pattern and it, it makes prisoner the entire generation, our future generation from our own issues, whether we realize it or not. So that's maybe my invitation um, to people if they have children um, to incite them to make peace with um, with the people before them, their ancestors. And it's also part of the theme of my book. Um, I had to make peace with some of my ancestors, including my dad, on certain issues. And I'm so glad I have. Mm, so your book, My Father Who Art in Heaven, and I'll put that on the show notes so people can look it up because I think there's a beautiful, there's lots of gems. There's everything that we've been talking about in your book um, and just making people feel more expansive, more expanded, more peaceful with who we are, what we are, and, you know, really tapping into that bigger space beyond the rational mind into something that we, we're much greater than we ever actually recognize in our day-to-day life. Yeah, and the word inspiration actually ties into the root spirit. Mm. So this is the interesting bit, is that we have it in our language. Our inspiration comes directly from a bigger space, from this, the unknown, from the invisible world. Mm. And I'm just going to end with this quote, see what you think of this, Ange. This beautiful quote by Albert Einstein. And he says, The intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. Oh, absolutely. I'm getting goosebumps everywhere as I listen to these words. This is just so important. And and that's also why I I love the guy so much, (laughs) because... He had it. He was such an intellectual. His Mm. mind was so powerful, and yet he recognized the importance of the heart. Mm. And that's where our intuition and our creativity flows from, not from the mind, not from the rational mind, but from that bigger space of what we call heart or whatever you want to call it. And then using the mind, the mind's a great thing, but in service to that bigger, yeah. I, I completely agree, yeah. And this has been what I've been asked to do, to go from lawyer to spiritual lawyer, is to, you know, to, to be in the driver's seat with my heart, not my mind anymore. Mm. What a beautiful transition, Ange. Beautiful transition. You're lighting <laughs> the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's been a bit of a butterfly effect, you know. It's been it's not been all easy and (laughs) I think that's important to note you know I mean there is the courage there is in in, courage means heart right in French so there is the courage that you know we step into these places of unknowns and and um and as you say just feeling that place that other place whether that you need to meditate to connect to that where you feel absolutely relaxed and peaceful and come from that place and for some people meditation is a repellent I I know for me for years cooking was my form of meditation Hmm. because I I just you know I peeled the vegetables and I put them in the pot and it all made me feel very quiet and peaceful and that was the only time in the day where I could really be with my thoughts so you know there's many many different ways to meditate that's also probably the message I want to leave people with is that you know you can meditate when you run as long as you don't get stuck in your mind Mm. 
And that can be a wonderful place to meditate. Um, you know, I, I actually, when I started meditation formally, I went to this Zazen center, uh, this Zen center, and we did, um, we sat on the Zafu for a while, and then we did a walking meditation. And it was all about the mindfulness whilst you walk. So there's no reason why you, we can't do everything in meditation almost. Absolutely. It is the practice of mindfulness. Even if you're driving, it's just being aware of your body, your breath, and what's around you right then and there in the now. And so you don't have to be sitting in a special place. It can Everything can be a meditation. You're so right. So we'll leave it at that with our listeners today that, you know, just start practicing more mindfulness and allowing that inner voice to get a little louder and follow it. And know that your rational mind is absolutely fine as long as it's in service to the other part of you, the intuitive part, that sacred gift that we all have within us. Oh, thank you so much, Aisha, uh, for having me and this delightful conversation. Um, I can't get enough of you. (laughs) (laughs) Pleasure. (laughs) Lots of love to you, Ange, all the way over in England, the UK. I'm here in Australia. Isn't it wonderful that we can connect through technology like this? Yes, absolutely. I think the internet has been um, an absolute um, uh, gift for for, many, many, many ways. Yeah. Totally agree. Much love to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you all for being here today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go to iTunes and give it a review and subscribe. And don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits. And for more information on living a creative life, www.asiakennedy.com.